Go back into South Bend's history. 20 years, 50 years, 100 years, and what do you see? You see groups of people working to bring change to this city. They had different ideas of what that change should be. They didn't always agree. Yet, in every decade, there were groups of people for whom positive change was their life's passion. This podcast, South Bend's Own Words, features the voices of people who helped make this city change. We'll play you selections from the Indiana University South Bend Civil Rights Heritage Center's oral history collection with the goal of telling you a more complete history of the city. It's the story of many cultures, not just one. It's the story of South Bend. When he served as the first Latino firefighter in South Bend, Federico Rodriguez's white colleagues gave him the nickname Chico. It's a name he's grown to embrace. He was born in McAllen, Texas, near the Rio Grande Valley. His parents were migrant farm workers. Chico's mother saw the impact seasonal migration had on her children's education. She insisted that the family stay put somewhere, either in Texas or in South Bend. Several of his uncles found permanent jobs at the Dodd Farm on South Bend's west side, and so they stayed here. With a stable living arrangement, Chico learned English at school by day and spent long hours in the fields until night. He was a dreamer, but his dreams never included the war in Vietnam. Upon his return, he served for decades in the fire department, and then he opened a restaurant on Western Avenue that bears his long-used nickname. In March of 2018, I sat down with Federico at the Civil Rights Heritage Center. We discussed his time as a farm worker, his career as a firefighter and restaurateur, and how much South Bend's Latinx community has grown Again, during his so lifetime. Um, so, I mean, we, we want to understand your uh, life story and your life history. So can you start that by just by telling us uh, when you were born and where? Okay, I'm a... Uh, born on June 25th, 1950. I was born in McAllen, Texas. My parents were uh, migrant workers. I was born at home. I'm not a hospital baby. I'm a at-home baby. Is that pretty common uh, for where in the town you grew up? Or yes, it was very common because in them days, if you needed medical care, you paid up front. If you didn't pay up front, you get the money and then you get the medical care. That's why all of us kids and my brothers and sisters, all but one, were born at home. Mm-hmm. How did we end up here in South Bend? Well, I had an uncle. His name was Daniel Gallegos. He used to go up to Michigan to the picking of the apples and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. On his way home one summer, one late summer, he just happened to drive South Bend because he used to come shopping in South Bend. But he made somebody mentioned some farm laborers that they hired people, so he went out to the farm laborers with the store stock farm. Mm-hmm. Got to talking over there, and he said that at the time they were grading potatoes. So he said, hey, I can use people if you want to bring them. I'm interested in the relationship uh, between uh, your father, uh, your whole family, basically, and the and the owners of the Dodd Farm. Uh, can you speak to that interaction and relationship? The, my relationship with the owners of the farm, my dad was the illiterate of the group. Uh, he was the illiterate one. My dad understood what he was telling him in English, but he could he would have a hard time translating it back. Mm-hmm. You tell him what you needed, uh, like I mean, I'll give you an example. The boss used to tell him, Fred, I need you to go plow the fields out there in ACs. I need you to plow. 
So he'd use hand yeah. motions. Yeah, hand motions, and, and my dad would understand. <clears throat> Do you know how much your father was making? My dad, when he was working there, he started at 25 cents an hour. And then through the years, he finally got to 75 cents. Okay. You know, when I started working there, I started working at the farm fields at about six years old. 10 cents an hour, 10 hours a day, and five and a half days a week. So, you know, uh, we moved back to, we were going back and forth into Texas. But because of my older sister, in 19, like 53, 54, we went, uh, we were back in Texas. And my mom noticed that my sister was getting into a point that she didn't know how to spell her name or write or read or nothing. And my mom looked, well, you know, what's going on with you? She thought she wasn't well. The problem was basically that she entered school in Texas. We moved down here for the migrant working, you know, between uh, May, June, before the schools closed in Texas. Come over here, she started school here, go over there, but she would never finish the school. Mm-hmm. You know, so that going back and forth got, uh, well, made my sister illiterate. So my mom told my dad, you know, two choices, either we stay in Texas or we stay in Indiana, but we cannot be migrating anymore. You know, our school, our education, we went to school to learn our English. We were all Spanish, we got home, we spoke nothing but Spanish. But the teachers did not speak Spanish. Correct. And the teachers were all Anglo. Correct. Mm-hmm. And that was hell for specifically me because how do you tell, uh, you know any Spanish at all? Very little. Okay, I'm going to put a one that. Can you ask me, I don't want to hurt that, but she knows. <laughs> Can you ask me in Spanish that you need to go to the bathroom for a reason? Um, I know the word baño. That's about it. So no, I can't. <laughs> well, that was me. Yeah, exactly. That was me. I, uh, I mean, how do I tell the teacher that I have to go number one at the, right. uh, you know, <clears throat> and I would stand up and she says, what? So every time I stood up, I what, what? And I would tell my brothers, take something. Like, what do you want me to do? None of us knew English. Right. You know, so how do you tell a teacher that you have to go to the bathroom? That kind of pushed me, believe it or not. That told me that will never happen to me again. But it taught me to better learn English. And so how did you learn English? The English language, the way they taught us back then, is they would write the word, the weather was in English, you know. And um, like the third graders that knew a little bit of Spanish, they would kind of assist the first graders. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this word means this, mm-hmm. you know. And she kind of intermixed us like that. When, mm-hmm. uh, when she would see that we were having a difficult time you know, she started, of course, with the ABCs. And then when she started forming words, well, you know, the third graders that were a little bit more knowing how to speak the English language, mm-hmm. they would tell us, you know, this is the way, she wants you to pronounce this word. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's how we basically, within the first three grades, mm-hmm. we would teach each other. You know, uh, it's kind of funny because uh, my uncle used to bring a truck to the corner of Washington and Falcons. Mm-hmm. Used to park there, and uh, some African Americans used to come and jump on the truck and take them out to the field, so we work hand in hand on the field. Mm-hmm. Believe it or not. And that's how uh, we also learned how to talk English a lot mm-hmm. as young kids, because we used to hear the African Americans talking. Mm-hmm. You know, and it was so neat that, uh, yeah, you know, my mom learned, to, that's how she learned her English, because she was the foreman out there. My mom went back in those days, she, she kind of gave us a, either go to school or go to work, but you're not going to say, you're not going to be running the streets. Go to work or go to school. I tried that you chose school. 
I chose school because I couldn't see myself. After, well, I started, like I said, 10 hours a day, 10 cents an hour, five and a half days a week. So I knew what to expect in the fields. But uh, I thought to myself, well, I want to do this for the rest of my life. I was uh, more or less of a, always a dreamer. When I used to be out in the fields, I remember myself, I would always want to get, you know, wheat picking on my hands and knees. I'd be wheat picking and I, and I used to get way up in front of the rest of the workers, way up in front. But I had a reason. My reason was that I knew that if I got out of sight, which my mom at the time was the boss, she was a, a, a foreman. If I got out of her sight, she wouldn't know. She knew I was working because the road would be clean. But she was always one that helped the rest, helped the rest. And I was always one like, hey, why am I going to help somebody else that doesn't want to work hard or work fast? So, but I used to just lie in the dirt, but you know, lie on my back and look at the sky and wonder. Daydream, wonder, why, why the heck is my life going from here? And believe it or not, I used to do that like that. And then uh, when I got out to the other end, my mom used to scream at me, come and help the rest of us. You know, we stayed together. So I would help there. And that's when I would help, I guess, after they caught up with me. How many people could those trucks carry? Well, that farmer I used to work with, we had a total of 600 hands at one time mm. working the fields. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's uh, today when I drive by that fields, I look at them and I see the ghosts out there. Mm. I, I see the people. Sure. It's hard to forget that we worked in fields, and I can literally see us, see myself out there. You know, it's like time froze, and I, I don't like to go by there too much because of that reason. Is that uh, you know I see Jesus, people that have been deceased for years now, but you see the spirits out there still working the farm fields. It was like uh, sad times, hard times, but adventurous times. And good things. And then um, what came? What came after that? I joined the Marine Corps in May. I got my mother. I was only seventeen. I got my mother to sign my paperwork, and but I went into this what they call a hundred and twenty day delay action. Once I signed, they had me, and I had to wait a hundred and twenty days before I got put in. Well, one of my requests for joining was, you know, I want to be home for Christmas. They said no problem. Another thing, I want to be a military policeman. No problem. So they made, they painted a perfect picture for me, and I said, Scout, yeah, let me get into it. Well, I got in, uh, I went to boot camp on October 3rd, 1968. I became a Hollywood Marine. I went to San Diego. They gave me uh, 12 weeks of boot camp. And then after my 12 weeks, we sounded off uh, one, two, three, one, two, three of the company. And then they says, all ones, you're going home for Christmas. All twos, you're going on kitchen duty. All threes, you're going to further education. So then I got sent to uh, another camp for four weeks of training. And the four weeks of training was uh, had to deal with uh, preparation for combat duty, which I thought was in my game plan. I never knew there was a combat plan. But then I turn around. Do you mind cutting the intro over there? Because again, 19, so this is 1968, right? Correct. And the war. 1968 into 79. Into 69. And the war in Vietnam is still going. Raging, right? And yeah. Were you aware of what was happening? <clears throat> I wasn't, uh, to be honest with you, uh, as because I came from the farm fields. News wasn't something that we paid attention. As you see, I never said anything about the news. Because, I mean, we had televisions, but we never paid attention to the news, what was going on in the world. We were isolated. We were on our own, you know. 
So when the Marine recruiters were recruiting you, the prospect of uh, going to war was not never, at the never yet, of course. So, and that person was able to sell you on things that uh, yeah. ended up not being true. But correct, you, you didn't you didn't know what you didn't know. <laughs> I didn't know what I was getting into, you know. Yeah, and then I went four weeks of uh, advanced combat training, and then after that, they told us to count off again. And, you know, one twos, one twos, and they said, all twos, you're going on, uh, not kitchen duty, but guard duty, and all ones, you're going on to school. I don't know what the hell they going to school. So then I ended up another four weeks in artillery. And then they sent me, gave me my transfer slip saying, report, you know, to come home. And when I reported back to San Diego, they, that's kind of me the transfer slip that I was going to Vietnam. And I'm like, what the hell is Vietnam? You know, and it was. How did your family react? My mom? How did they react? She's the one, the artist. Yeah. And I was married too, I had a young baby. But uh, yeah, when I went to Vietnam, I, you know, crossing the ocean, I'm like, you know, that's the first time ever, ever that I can honestly say that both the sky and the ground were the same color mm-hmm. blue. <laughs> The sky and the ground were blue. Wow, that's what I remember of the flight. Mm-hmm. And you look up, blue, you look down, blue. I'm like, oh. And then I ended up with the 3rd Marine Division, which was up in Quan Pri, up north. I was five miles away from the DMZ, from north Vietnam. Mm-hmm. You know, I was one mile away from Mexico and five miles away from DMZ, from north Vietnam. Mm-hmm. And I spent my, you know, my time in the bush, you know, out in the jungle. Yeah, it was so much unbelievable things, you know. Man, all I wanted to do was survive. I apologize. Just, no, no, my feet, yeah, no apologies feet. necessary. I'm, okay. No, I'm okay. I'm okay. Yeah, yeah just uh, flashbacks. When did you come home? In, 19, in uh, March of 1970. Yeah. So I spent a year overseas. Yeah. I got my time in. Yeah. Life did continue. <laughs> life did continue. Yeah. And there were a lot of great things that happened in that life. One of the things that you were able to do was become a prominent member of the fire department. <laughs> when did that start? How did that happen? Well, when I got the, when I turned 21, that I came, got out of the military and bombed around and worked at Steel uh, Neighborhood Association and Hansel Center, and then I worked at Steel Warehouse. Mm-hmm. Then uh, the mayor out of nowhere, Mayor Miller back then, called me up. And my ex-wife, when I was in the military, she worked there. And he kind of mentioned to her that he was looking for a Hispanic guy for the fire department. She said, well, get my husband. He just got out of the military. So he he called me in. She gave my phone number. He called me in. I'm like, when I went in there, I said, no, I want to be a cop. And believe it or not, when I got out, I signed for to become a state police. Mm-hmm. I was too short. Mm-hmm. There was a height requirement back then. Mm-hmm. You had to be at least 5'8", I was 5'7". All public servant occupations was a height requirement. You had to be at least 5'8". Well, I wonder why that was. That was the back then. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so then I came with him, and believe it or not, as I came to him and says, go down and see this doctor. And I went there, and I'll forget, because there was a... No Polish lady, secretary or nurse, but she told me, she says, I can tell you right now you can't get out. I said, why? She says, you're too short. I'm like, 
how do you know I'm too short? I'm here because the mayor sent me. That's all I'm here. So she told me to get up against the wall. She put that ruler on top of my head. She said, walk away. She said, you're done. You're too short. What, five, seven and a half? So I said, okay. So I went home. The mayor calls me up again later on in the afternoon. She says, what happened? I said, I don't know. That crazy nurse told me I was too short. She says, come back here first thing in the morning, which was the next day. So I went back there first thing in the morning. At 8 o'clock in the morning, he makes a phone call to the doctor's office. I go back there. That same nurse is there, older lady. She looks at me. She walks away from me, and a younger lady comes, a younger nurse comes up. She's up against the wall. I got up against the wall, and all I can tell you is I grew. I had things because <laughs> all I know is she put that ruler, and then I thought that ruler kind of go to the top of my hair only. She said, step away, and I stepped away. She said, you're 5'8". I will. <laughs> you know, so then she called the mayor, and the mayor says, come and send him back to my office. Went back to his office, and he says, congratulations. You're my first Hispanic on the South Bend Fire Department. <laughs> he says, report to the fire chief. Uh, so, yeah, one thing led to another. I started off right here at this fire station down on, on Thomas Street. Okay. Fire mm-hmm. station 4. Yeah. So I started there. Mm-hmm. 19th, October 16th. We are October's one month. October 3rd, I went into the military. And October 16th, I joined the fire department. Hmm. 1972. I got out of the military in October of uh, 1970. And got in the fire department October 16th, 1972. And that started a very long career uh, with. You know, uh, I wasn't planning on going this long. Trust me, I wasn't. <laughs> uh, just uh, it's been a heck of a ride for me, you know. It, uh, I thought it was, uh, in the beginning there, you know, after two years, believe it or not, I had two years and uh, like maybe maybe four or five months, I got promoted to a lieutenant. Mm-hmm. And again, I go back to my time when I used to lie on my flat on my back and look at the blue sky and say, wonder where I'm going. And I had a friend of mine whose name was Frank Brown. He was going to be promoted to a lieutenant, but when he went for the lieutenancy, at the time, the only thing the chief had was a lieutenant in the investigation bureau. Mm-hmm. And he said, I don't want to be no bad investigator. Mm-hmm. So he, the, chief, the chief back then said, well, what do I do now? I need a lieutenant in the investigation bureau. He said, well, take Chico. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have his time in. Again, I was probably too short, but no. He said, he thought, well, he thought, no, he's got two years there. Because you have to have at least two years in order to be promoted. Mm-hmm. So he called me in and talked to me and said, well, because how do you like about coming to work on eight hours? I mean, I hear uh, uh, two years and uh, two months and I'm already talking about working eight hours. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, I'll do it. He says, okay, I'm going to put your investigation, but so I'm going to promote you to a lieutenant and then I'll bring you in. He promoted me, but the battalion chiefs back then didn't want to cut me loose. Because I did such a good job with them working on the fire suppression, <laughs> they didn't want to lose a good firefighter. So I became a lieutenant in the investigation bureau, but I was working the rigs. I never got put on in the investigation. Then they transferred my badge from a lieutenant, from a lieutenant investigator to just a lieutenant. And then they wanted to eliminate all the lieutenants, so instead of demoting us, they made us all captains. So my career, like the first five years, I was a captain already. You, know. you, you talked about uh, starting your life, it was majority Hispanic. Um, almost everybody in your life was steeped in that culture. And as time went on, it became less and less and less. So by the time you joined the fire chief, you were literally the only person. Um, but now um, you have a business in a place that is growing more and more and more uh, Hispanic again. Does it feel 
To be honest with you, um, now in today's age, <laughs> the people out there, it's like we need guidance. Our people right now, we want to unite. We don't know how to unite. And we have yet to come up with a person or a person come up to us and say, look, believe in me, that kind of an individual, we don't have that. You know, uh, I, I feel like we have organizations out there, but it seems like every organization, we're stepping on each other's toes. And we're, as, as we keep moving forward, uh, the organizations, uh, who's in charge? We're never going to succeed this way. Never. You can hit that wall with your fingers, you're going to break them. Hit that wall like this, and you're going to make a dent in that wall. Making it this. So uh, my point is, is that we need to come together. I consider myself as a person in the community. Am I a leader? People think because of my position I am. And I think, well, you know, I'll give you advice on everything and anything that I know. Does that make me a leader? Well, how can I make her believe that how important it is for her to get actively involved? That's a leader to me. South Bend's Own Words is produced by Seth Umbaugh and me, George Garner. It was created by Kevin Tidmarsh and me through the Indiana University South Bend Civil Rights Heritage Center. We're housed in the former Engman Public Natatorium, a once segregated South Bend swimming pool. Visit us and learn how that history of oppression echoes through the city today. We give guided tours and offer public events that share knowledge, art, and culture, and we organize people to act on the issues facing our city today. You can see and hear more history, plan your visit, or send us your feedback, all at crhc.iusb.edu.